0: Greetings, folks, and welcome to a gig gab podcast episode eight for Monday, March 30th, 2015.
1: I'm half of your hosting team, Dave Hamilton. And I'm the other half, Paul Kent. How you doing, other half? <laughs> I'm doing good, other half. How are you doing? I'm all right. Yeah, man. I'm good. Actually. Hey, happy Eric Clapton's birthday. Oh, is that right? Is today Clapton's birthday? I had no idea. Yeah. Uh, What's your favorite Clapton song to play? My favorite
0: Clapton song to play. Wow, um, you know we started messing around with "Keep on Growing" lately, um, which is an interesting one.
1: But I don't know if Clapton wrote that,
0: right? I don't. I don't know. I don't, yeah, I can't remember. Um, but uh, man, there's all what's kinds the one, of them. What,
1: what's the one we started playing in the All Stars? Did we play a Clapton tune? Oh, badge. That's my favorite. That's my favorite one to play. Oh, no question. Yeah. And when, when we finally settled on, you know, to play the original version of badge, is very difficult and doesn't really grab people except guitar players. Right. But we came upon this, this later version where the whole thing grooves. So cool.
0: Yeah. That I, and I had tried that tune with a band previously. Right. And it would totally failed because we were all trying to capture the studio version of that song. And then, right. And yeah, it's, well, it just doesn't, it doesn't translate well live, right? Um and I think Clapton actually figured that out too, which is why he changed it. And Yeah, that's probably right. Right? You know, but and so when you suggested badge for uh, the All-Stars several years ago, I was like, Oh no, 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 dude. No, no, no. You know, <laughs> we gotta, we're gonna have to have a heart to heart on this one. <laughs> but then you said to me, you're like, Oh no, 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 wait, 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 don't you know, don't levy judgment yet. Don't exercise veto power. Listen to the 24 nights version. And, uh, man, that that became my favorite tune. One of my favorite, there are many, many, I have a, um, I always say I'm cursed with a really good memory, but it's actually an awesome thing because it, um, I I have like vivid memories of, of many moments that we've shared on stage together. But one, uh, that will never leave me. I hope is when we were playing just about a year ago, a couple year and a couple of months, uh, at the Mac 30th thing when we got to play on the stage at the Flint center. And, uh, and we were singing that harmony at the end of badge together. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, and we were up, we were actually, I could see th- there was a big screen behind us and they had, they had what, 14 cameras at this thing. It was, it was awesome. Right. We, we had, we've had some great opportunities, man. And, uh, and some great moments, but, but they had us both up on that, uh, on that big screen behind us. Cause I could see the monitor in front, uh, while we were singing that harmony together. And that was, um, that was pretty cool
1: <laughs> that was a pretty yeah, cool know, gig man yeah absolutely well you know that 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 guitar break and badge is is iconic man you know right. the whole song stops and this big ringing you know reverberated you know beautiful riff that sets up this groove and i still get chills playing that i love that yeah that's awesome yeah yeah, yeah That that's a good one uh wonderful tonight everybody plays that right yeah, we've only played that at one club because they they ask for
0: a slow tune and it's like usually a crowd that that trends very very old in the demographic. So, um Good wedding song though. Yeah. It, it, that's true. Yeah, in that vibe that the Wonderful Tonight works real well. Yeah, it's it's a great listen. It's a great song.
1: It's a great slow song. <laughs> yeah. What else? I shot the sheriff, you ever play that? I have. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh cocaine? Yeah, that, that's a, you know,
0: Clapton, um, and I, I will, I will put Stevie Ray Vaughan into this category, obviously both well known and respected and rightly so for their guitar work, but man, you know, covering those songs, those guys are equally as good, although mostly underrated as vocalists. Yeah. And so cocaine is one of those tunes that I've had a lot of guitar players bring it in and, uh, You know, we play it, but it's like, man, if you can't deliver that vocal,
1: this is going
0: nowhere fast.
1: Well, it it gets very garagey very fast.
0: That's what it is. Yeah, it's just right. We're going to play this riff over and over and over again. And, you know, there's actually something to the the drum groove on that tune that I never realized until I watched Steve Gadd play it on one of those Crossroads concerts that Ah. Clapton put together. And it's, yeah, um, I mean, there's a lot of nuance to making that song work, but, but it like, you know, like I said, Clapton and Stevie Ray tunes, and you got to have a heck of a singer to deliver those. For
1: sure. Yeah. How about uh, Layla? You ever play Layla? I have. Yeah. That's a good one. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Very fun. Yeah. You know, what's a good one? Rock and roll heart. I I don't know that I know that tune. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. What's there's it? so many?
0: Yeah, there, there it is. Yeah. I never was a, I mean, I obviously respect him. I have no problem with Clapton. I never dug deep, it, you know, um, being a drummer, it wasn't, you know, it was never high on the like must listen to list. Although Hendrix was like, you know, he, he, I, I've always said that, you know, I obviously my, my playing and, and music was influenced by a lot of drummers, but there's two guys on the list that might even be above most drummers and, uh, and aren't, and I, there's an asterisk there because it is Jimi Hendrix and Jocko Pastorius, And Jocko Ooh. really was a good drummer uh, on his own, but, but obviously that. more known for his bass playing. So, But Teentown, anybody that knows uh, the weather report uh, recording of Teentown on heavy weather, Jocko played the drums on that. So damn. There's a little
1: damn, damn, music, music well, trivia. Anyway, yeah. Happy birthday, Eric Clapton. There you go. Happy birthday, Eric Clapton. Slow hand. Yeah. You know where that came from? was it, uh, was it Harrison give it to him? No, but there's
0: actually another Harrison story about Clapton that we should tell because it's, it, I, I think it's interesting, but slow hand, as I understood it, he would break when, when he was playing, um, early on, but, but still was known as Eric Clapton, right? He, uh, if he would break a string, he would change a string on stage. And so people would give him the slow clap, a slow hand, While they waited for him to change a string.
1: That's the story I heard. Wow. Yeah. I've not heard that one. Yeah. I think that that? was in
0: the, in the biography or something. I did read his biography. That was pretty good.
1: I did read it and and they do mention it, but I can't recall what it was.
0: I think that, I think that's what it was, but the Harrison story. So actually rewinding back to us learning badge, we were at, we had learned it. Right. And we were at um, the club Broadway studios where we were doing our Cirque du Mac party together, whatever year it was. And we played badge uh, kind of as a warm-up tune. And the sound guy was there and, and the sound guy came up and said, Hey, do you know where the name of that song came from? And you know, nobody on stage knew We're like, uh, no, he's like, Oh yeah. He says uh, he was with hair. He had written the tune and he was with uh, Harrison and he showed Harrison the tune he had. He had kind of charted it out or whatever. And he was playing it for him. And, and uh, Harrison looks over and he's like, well, that's a great tune man," but, what the heck is badge? And he's like, "What are you talking about, badge?" What he's like at the top of the page, you wrote badge. What the heck is badge? And he's like, "Oh no, no, I wrote bridge," and yet badge stuck. And that's why he never says in the in the live version. He says, "Where is my badge?" Right? But yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that the badge has nothing to do with the lyrics or anything. It just that was that was how it became known. That's very cool. As as the story goes, I mean, I don't know. It's a
1: good story. I, I like it. So it might have been heard true. It. Yeah, yeah, and and something about Ringo Starr having the line about a swan's living in the park. A very drunk Ringo Starr contributed that line to the song. That I did not know. There you go. It's random. Well, not random. It's Eric
0: Clapton focused mu- music trivia uh, introduction to Gig Gabby version or episode.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: but this is what we do, right? I mean, listen, we put this show together because uh, we like having these kinds of conversations <laughs> and... It's not just us. We know a lot of people do. So that's um, Absolutely. that's why we allow ourselves a freedom to enjoy
1: this sometimes. All so we actually, we actually got our first uh, listener feedback. And it's kind of cool because I had made a comment in one of the first episodes about something I wanted to dive into about how, you know, you and I have like professional tech industry day jobs during the day. Yeah. And the relationship between... Living your day job life and your and your band life, and I had made the comment that it's an completely different skill set. Yep. And one of our listeners sent an, an email saying, "I entirely disagree." He said, "You know, my do you want me my, to just read the email? I've got it in front yeah, yeah. of me here. Okay, yeah. yeah.
0: So uh, it's listener Russ, who's actually uh, uh, full disclosure, uh, no great surprise. You know, the first people to listen were people we knew, and Russ is the guitar player in in uh, the band Fling that I play in. And, and really the guy that, that started the band and, and the glue that holds it together. And he says, uh, you talked about how day job business skills are not necessarily useful or applicable in a band. I disagree, at least in my case. Fling would probably not exist if not for my operations management skills and organizational acumen Uh, beyond the initial startup. Dave can talk about the lean process improvement concepts we have applied to load in and set up, which have greatly improved efficiency. My next step is to color code cable connections, to further (laughs) foolproof and accelerate the process. He says, also, I have found the basic business negotiation skills uh, that some in our band lack by no fault of their own often result in questionable terms or rates when we book a gig on, or when they book a gig on on behalf of the band, a confident business demeanor does wonders when discussing terms and rates with a booker or event organizer, know your fee and do not waiver. So there you go. Thanks yeah. Russ. us. So, yeah.
1: yeah. I, and, and here's my response uh, to my experience. Um, just understanding some basic negotiation concepts probably puts you ahead of many, 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 uh, other bands and musicians that might be competing for the same jobs, just the ability to, you know, just to state your price, just the ability to talk in a businesslike manner with, with a, a booking organization, whether it's a club or, you know, a corporate type of thing, the ability to just kind of communicate in a businesslike way, I believe certainly, uh, helps your, helps your, helps your cause. The point I was trying to make in all this is actually more about, a, about, almost a human resources, personnel management thing. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so what I was trying to get to is, you know, in a, in a, in a day job, in my day job, you know, you have, you have people that you pay a living wage to. (laughs) Right. And, and, you know, you, you, uh, you manage, you know, you want to get results out of them. You find out what motivates them. um, You know, you want to mentor people and, and, you know, you use a whole bunch of techniques in your day job in your business life To um, extract results out of people who work for you. My point of all this was that is that is a pretty difficult skill to translate to a creative endeavor in general. A part time endeavor. I mean, you know, a guy who joins a band. You know, he wants to be a part of something. You hope. You know, otherwise, go sit go sit in your bedroom. But you know, (laughs) the the concept of I see how it is working for you. (laughs) but uh you know literally i i i thought you know and here's the best way i can explain it um i thought that that a very simple exchange was all right guys i want to have a band and i want to have a great band but here's the deal here's the implicit deal i'm the leader of the band i take the responsibility of taking care of the business taking care of the website taking care of the uh you know paying you guys taking care of booking gigs In exchange for that, I want you guys to just to show up and do what I tell you to do. On the surface, this seems to make some sense, but in practicality, (laughs) you know, you know, uh, 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 it doesn't fly. It doesn't. Commitment is an active process. It is not a passive process. And uh, it was something that took me a long time to learn is that you just cannot expect Now there are certain situations where that'll work. I mean, there are, there are professional situations where that'll work. If you want this gig in this band, because it's going to pay a certain amount of money and I can get anybody to take this gig because it's going to, you know, this is a a professional situation and those are the, are the tenants of accepting the gig. It can work. Yeah. Like, I mean this theater, well, not just this theater gig, pretty much any
0: theater gig I take is, is something along those lines. Don't get me wrong. I'm not getting paid enough for it to actually be that, but you know, there's some labor of love involved, and it's local tour sure. and all that. But sure. but there definitely is. It's it's not like I can say no, man. You know
1: what? I want to play this song. It's, like it's it's a known quantity going in. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. So you know, but this has been uh, like a refinement of my management technique to walk this line between making sure I'm getting what I want for the amount of effort and work being put in. And there's not enough money to justify it in a financial sense to me either. Sure. So it's all about, you know, me getting what I want creatively and, 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 you know, getting the fulfillment of this picture I have in my mind of what, a. What a band that, uh, that, uh, that reaches people. And I mean, actually, that's the thing that has always been about it for me is sure. I want that feeling of having communicated in an artistic endeavor that touches people and you know, makes them clap at the end of a song, makes them sing in the right places, makes them dance, makes them cheer, makes them go out of their way to come see us. These are the things in my mind that are, are what a, a successful group is. And you know, I once you know, had a conversation with one of the guys in my band. He was like, listen, man, you asked for buy-in and buy-in means you have to have some expression opportunity. It took me a really 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 long time to wrap my head around that because I was so focused on the our contract says I do this and you do that and everybody's happy. It doesn't work that way. No. Or at least I haven't found it work that way.
0: But okay, so let me let me there, there's a there's all kinds of things I, I want to discuss in here. One of them is is kind of the big question. So taking what works or worked in a, in a day job environment and trying to just directly apply that to the band. Uh, I, I agree it, it, what you described. It's, it's, you know, it's a recipe for, well, a short term relationship, <laughs> right. Yep. Um, but it, you know, in, then in adapting to figuring out, okay, here's how to deal with these people and here's how to engage them and, in a cre- and honor their need for creative input right? For, for lack of a a more loquacious term, right? (laughs) Does that, do can you then take that and actually take it back to your day job and perhaps enhance the, the experience of your employees with a
1: little dose of that? Well, sure. I mean, I think, you know, we're learning all the time. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. And so the ability to relate to people at different levels, you get that from a creative endeavor, no matter what you're doing. But I definitely, I have uh, taken a lot of what I have learned managing my band and I apply it and, you know, you get, especially, you know, we have artists and, and uh, creative people in, in our day jobs as well. And it's helped me to relate to them a lot better.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Definitely. Right. So, so it, yeah, it's, it, it might be more one directional than we thought, but not in the direction we thought. Right. That's right.
1: Yeah. Yeah, You just keep learning. How about this? Like in the all stars, we had a rule that you can bring in a song, but you have to sing it. Yeah. Or, or you
0: have to get a singer's buy-in on it when you, you can't just show up with a song and expect that we're going to try it. If you haven't already found someone to sing it and that someone could very well be you, it doesn't right. You know, right.
1: Cause we so, certainly had
0: some guys that couldn't sing at least right. one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But so. and, you know, they wanted their say they wanted, and again, it all goes back to that. You know, we all think we're right. You know, in our mind, there's that magic song that nobody else is covering. We're going to bring it back. And I'm going to feel so satisfied that I was able to touch some people with this magic song from the past that they probably haven't heard no cover band. And, and that, that's the thing. A whole great other conversation is, remember we were talking about vanity songs and those types of things, right? Yeah. Versus, you know, do you just go with the stuff that you know is going to work? Well, so in the house rockers for the longest time, the singers bring their own songs, Right. Right. Right but then you'd get the guys who don't sing saying, you know, I want to feel a little creative juice in this as well. And they'd bring in some songs. So a couple of things that go on here. One is, uh, you're, you're asking a singer to be passionate about interpreting someone else's song. Right. Might happen, might not happen. Right. Yep. Uh, you know, I suppose the conversation could be like, I'm happy to do a song that you bring in, but just not that song. If it happens to be a song, if it happens to be a song that you get stuck on, yeah. um, but this, uh, this give and take. you're also saying, you know, in the course of a show, I'm going to set aside one of the songs that I feel really passionate about because I brought it to do the song that you brought to me. Yeah. And you know, there's a, there's a little bit of a trade off there. Again, yeah. you get, you get the upside of uh, your band buys in more because they feel a little bit more creative uh, contribution to the overall thing. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, Tightrope, though, because, you know, what if it's not a great song? How do you gently say, uh, you know, not that one? you not know, the, or, Yeah, not that one know. or not here, not now or whatever it is. And I wonder but how it, that
0: I wonder how that works. I've I've ne- I've never been the uh, singer, the lead singer in a band where there's only one lead singer. Right. I've uh, been in bands where there's only one lead singer, but I'm not it. And which you know, I shouldn't be. I I can sing. OK, but I'm you know, I, I'm not going to carry a night. But I've been, I've played with people that are more than capable of carrying an entire night, you know, really talented folks. And I guess in that scenario, it's different because, you you know, everybody's job, everybody's role in every song is the same, right? In terms of what instrument you're playing, uh, maybe, right. you, you know, maybe, you know, you're designing harmonies differently and, and that sort of thing. But, but for the most part, you know, what's going on. And so that, yeah, that's a little different than, than just, Hey, I want to play this song and, but I want you to sing it.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So anyway, so this discussion is interesting to me because, uh, uh, it's helped my management in both endeavors, both in the creative endeavors of the band and in the day job, corporate endeavor. I've learned a little bit about both and about what can apply in, in different situations. And that's been kind of cool to learn. You know, sometimes learning is a painful, <laughs> a painful growth mode is, is, uh, has to be gone through, but, um, that's been kind of cool, but I will agree, you know, what Russ had, had said, if you have your act together as a business person, um, you probably can make your band more efficient, more marketable, more uh, more successful in many ways. And, and, and is this this true? Was he goofing around, or did you he really figure out a more efficient way to load things in? Oh no, no, he totally figured out a more efficient way to load <laughs> things in. No, Russ is um, uh, Russ and I have we've known each other
0: because of the band for a long time. We were actually involved in a couple of uh, business projects together, and he's the one with whom I coached the. Uh, the high school rock band club. So Uh it, it, sometimes we see each other every day for like a period of two weeks, you know, but, um, but no, he is a, an operations master. He really, really is. And, uh, and he's definitely applied that. So what we learned is, and this comes as no great surprise, but, you know, building the stage from the back to the front makes a lot of sense. And it used to be that I would get in and try and start setting up my drums first and then he would find himself, he'd set up his guitar and then 10 minutes later he'd be trying to string lights around behind me or whatever and that would be a problem. And so now what we do is we pack the lights last and when we get to a club we get the lights out and in and while the rest of us are unloading gear he's setting up the lights. And then when we get in there, everybody has assigned jobs and, and your job isn't necessarily unpack your own stuff first. Uh, for me, it is because I've got a lot of stuff to set up. I got to set up the drums and then assuming we're doing our own sound. Um, I've got to tune the PA uh, because I'm the one that, that, that does that. Um, but, but I can't do that until everything's finished. Well, everything except maybe guitars set up, right? Cause guitarists can be setting up their amps and stuff while I'm tuning vocals. And then we can add the guitars in later. So, um, so I, uh, he, he does his thing. Hopefully he's done by the time we've loaded all the, the, you know, the, the packed up stuff in, then, uh, our other guitar player starts unpacking my drums out of their crates while I set up my, my stands and rack and all that stuff that by that point I can hang everything on it, get everything good to go. I get my, my station essentially set up, which includes my microphone and and a couple of things. By that point, the bass player is ready. And, uh, but the bass player or keyboard player and guitar player set up, uh, the monitors and mics across the front and bass players usually involved in that too. And and we really, no, we, we, because we identified that we would get to a gig and there'd be at any point in time, only three of us working and two people standing and watching. And it, and it wasn't that people were being lazy. They literally didn't know what to do. Um, because they, you know, like in terms of the PA, well, it's, you know, I'm the one that's going to tune it. So it would be me setting it up. I'm like, well, wait a minute. I just set up a whole set of drums. <laughs> Maybe you guys could do part of this and we get it done faster. That's all, you know. And so we just, yeah, we assigned very specific jobs and it worked out great. It sounds very it's anal retentive and it
1: is, but you know, it works. It works. Yeah. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to brag here for a second. So oh. you, you've met, you've met Bill, my sound guy, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I don't, I don't have a rust, but I have a bill. And, you know, for 25 years, Bill's been my friend. And, um, I asked him if he wanted to learn, you know, the sound system, God, this would have been about, I think it must've been about 2003. Okay. That uh, that, uh, so the band had been together about three, four years. He had no experience. I actually probably asked him if he would help me load in and, um, you know, Bill's just a great guy and, and, uh, you know, he willingly helped and then you know we asked him if he wanted to learn sound and so he's gone from really someone who knew nothing about sound engineering to he runs our shows i mean he's he's the 11th member of the band he's a, you know he's a full member of the band you know financially yep. and um he takes care of everything and and i have to say having having this friend who looks out for all the details of what our band does has made the biggest, he, and you've gotten to know Bill over the years, right? Oh yeah. He's, I he's, love that guy. Great guy. Yeah. yeah. And he's in the early sound, years, He's
0: done sound for us probably 10
1: years ago. Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. and in, in the early years, he was kind of, you know, feeling his way through and, and he was learning and he got some good mentorship. Nick and our band taught him a little bit about the technical details uh, of sound. He is on it, man. And I got to tell you, it makes for a semi-professional thing yep. to essentially walk in, plug in and play you feel like a rock star every freaking time you take the stage because bill takes care of everything. Every band, if you could have a bill, you know, it's worth it. It's worth an equal share. Uh, you know, he looks after everything we walk in and the stage is immaculate, perfectly set, we just, we just go and it's, it's a fantastic thing. So Bill's out there. I wish every band in the world could have a bill. You'll never have as, one as good as my bill, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it it's Well, amazing.
0: The problem is, and you're very, you're very fortunate. A, he's a good guy. Um, and I mean, he's just a nice guy to, to, to begin with. And, and you're right. He's gotten very skilled over the years to get someone like that, in most bands or it, it to get most people who are like that will cost you far more than one share of your band's earnings. You're right. Um, you know, most of the time you talk to a guy and, and you know, you try and coordinate with somebody who, who already has all the skills. Now I understood, right. You've, you've, he's built up with you and that's, that's actually great. But you know, that's a, that's a $300 a night kind of thing. Without a doubt, without even, you you know, you haven't even started negotiating and you're,
1: you start there, you know? So, well, you know, so along these lines, you know, there are other guys in this town who are, who are uh, pro sound guys. They won't, they won't lift a lick of, of gear, Mm. right? They walk, they walk in and mix, right? Right. Bill sets our stage for us. He drives, he keeps our sound system. He drives around with it. He's amazing. He's just uh, unbelievable.
0: We've got we've got a uh, a kid. He's a ninth grader that uh, I've been I've gotten to know because he was in the middle school jazz band the last couple of years where I was doing the sound and actually Russ was helping the, with me. Like I said, Russ and I wound up doing a lot together. And uh, he really he, he's a sax player and and he's a fine sax player, especially for his age. But but uh, he's fine. But he his interest is more in the lighting and the sound. And so uh, you know we we've done a couple of gigs where he's been able to kind of be that person for us. And um, I can see that role growing uh, for Ooh. him. If we can, if we can somehow negotiate with his parents to let him, you know, <laughs> to let him be with us in bars until two in the morning. I, I think we've got something going on here. So, you know, we'll take right. care of him, though.
1: <laughs> you gotta. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, we're talking about sound systems here. I thought it might be a good little transition to talk about. Th- this will span many episodes, Dave. Let's talk about setup sound stage volume is the is the holy grail of bands here so why don't don't you start and just kind of give your philosophy you know do you guys get loud and crank i've i have always thought that the all-stars are the band that we play in together i always thought it was loud very loud very loud i find you to be a very um a very dynamic drummer but there's there's something deceiving about about that might be in the energy or maybe you're just a lot stronger than I ever give you credit for. You can get loud. I mean, you can, you can, your backbeat, you know, reverberates and you know, the band has to get over the loudest acoustic acoustic thing on stage, which is typically the drums. That's right. So, so you know, what is your, what is your mantra? What is your philosophy on stage sound?
0: Yeah. Well, so um I'm, I'm not even sure where to start. So with the, with the all-stars, it's a little different, right? Cause I'm never playing on my own gear um which is weird and and I'm always I always feel like in in that situation everything else around me is too loud um even though I and I use in-ears with the All-Stars I use them everywhere but the, the I've never had a decent monitor mix with with the All-Stars so I wind up taking my things out and then I'm just dealing with things around me and so I feel like in that band I'm actually always playing up to what I hear on stage and that's typically my MO uh you know you can't play at full volume, you know, full, like bashing, you know, double for triple fortissimo all night. Right. And, and expect it to work in most scenarios. Uh, you just have to, you know, you have to find space in the music. And and a lot of times the way to find space is to cut back on the volume. One of the best lessons I had for that was when I was on the road, we had, it was a six piece band uh, guitar, bass and drums. And then up front was, I say up front, I mean, it was, we were all over the stage, but, uh, it was in sa- a sax player who played clarinet some of the time, an accordion player, uh, and the accordion had microphones built into it. So presumably those would feedback if we had things too loud. Uh, but we had a banjo player and he was a fantastic banjo player, but he was a banjo player, which meant a microphone on essentially a tambourine with strings on the yeah. stage. Right. And he needed to hear himself back in the monitors, so it was awesome. Every night we would set up, we would get the banjo, we'd get it to feedback, we'd back off a couple of dB from there, and that was our stage volume. No, as long as you could hear the banjo, you were good to go. You knew that you were in good shape, and uh, and so we did. You know, we we played we played a lot softer than than most bands probably would, but it there's nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, I, my goal is for me not to be the loudest one that I hear. I like to hear the vocals nice and loud. Um, Depending on the instrumentation, I like to hear keys and uh, obviously bass, but bass is, well, bass is pretty easy because it sits below everything else. So it it, it can actually be too loud and still be okay. As long as yeah. the room, as long as the room doesn't turn it into a mud fest. Right. And, and, and I think more, and maybe this was the problem in the all stars that room was kind of weird, especially back you know at the top of the stage where I always was but um regardless of the room or or perhaps because of the room, everybody needs to think about how their instrument sounds there, and a lot of people forget this, right you know i i especially guitar players and i'm not I'm not actually not pointing at you uh you you get this, but I've seen a lot of guitar players that sit in their bedroom or their studio or whatever it is. And get the perfect sound, right? And this is it. And I know exactly where all my knobs go. And this is my sound. And I will never move my knobs from here. And that's great as long as you never move your amp from there. Yeah. But if you put your amp in a room somewhere, you have to change those knobs because the room by its nature is going to sound different. Different rooms have different EQ holes. And and I think everybody would be very well served to sit down with a PA and I had to do this or I, I didn't have to, I did this when I was a kid because I'm the drummer and the PA was at my house and I wanted to learn about it. And so I sat there with a graphic EQ and started, you know, moving the knobs up and down and figuring out where things feedback and not just feedback to the point where you hear the feedback, but where it starts to sound muddy. And it's like, Oh, wait a minute. If I take a little bit of this out, even though it wasn't feeding back, it wasn't squealing. If I take a little of this out, it suddenly sounds cleaner. And, and I, I think it would, I think everybody would be well-served to do that with a microphone, a speaker and a graphic equalizer and just learn where all the holes are. And, And that way, when you get into a room, you can play a little bit and say, ah, okay, well here, I need to turn this down. And, and, you know, there's no sacred cows walking in wherever your EQ knobs are on your amp. Doesn't matter, and the same's for me, right? I, I'll use different symbols in a room. I'll use a different snare drum if if I hit one and I hear it, you know, immediately ricochet off the back wall. It's like, oh, that's the wrong drum for this room. You know, I need something that's a little more more uh, restrained. And I that that's how I think right, about so it I, when I walk I, into a club.
1: So uh, you have the benefit of an engineering mind, and you can dissect these problems. I do have to ask the question. I yeah, I would say. Nine out of 10 drummers I've ever played with are quite loud, right? Yeah. You know, a snare drum is a loud thing, and especially if, if, if you're in a small room. So this what you're saying about you try not to be the loudest thing and all these types of things. I mean, tell me what goes through the mind of most drummers then when they are the loudest thing. I mean, is it just a total uh, disregard? You were you all worry about me. You worry about you. Why is it always? And and I, you know, one of my best friends in the world is uh, he's a touring sound guy, and I asked him, you know, how do we solve this this thing? He goes, you know, to me, it's about getting over the drummer. Everybody wants to feel comfortable. Yeah, the drums are the loudest acoustic thing. Everybody level sets around the drums.
0: Oh, that's true, and that I mean that that happens for me too, right? So I, I have to be really sensitive to that. And, and play where I feel like the the room can handle it. And, and again, I, you know, my priority is the vocals in a rock Uh band setting. And so if I feel like whatever's happening, the vocals aren't being, aren't cutting through, it's my job to pull me down and hopefully pull everybody else down. But if, if, but that, it doesn't typically work that way. Right. I mean, people don't automatic, nobody automatically turns down when they hear somebody else get quieter.
1: Right, just,
0: right. 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 See, it's got to be a, a discussion about it. Uh, but yeah. So in terms of what happens with with other drummers, I mean, I, I you know, there is some level at, and this happens with guitar players, too. Right. I, I need to be able to hear myself. I need to be able to hear my tone. And there's that, too, with with every instrument drums included. I want to be able to hear that, you know, the the nuance of my ride symbol and make sure that, you know, that's cutting through the right way. And and um, and it just it happens.
1: What is this nuance you speak of?
0: <laughs> we keep this a clean show, so I can't say what I want to say to you, but that's okay.
1: Well, I, the, the only time I've ever really, really, really enjoyed nuances within the ears I got to say, and you know me, I fought in ears for the longest amount of time because they made me feel cut off from the band, cut off from the audience. You're in kind of your own little funnel. I'm just now getting the mix I like consistently and feeling pretty good about, you know, the, the experience of in-ears and I I'll do many shows with, with in-ears in from beginning to end. I'll still, I still am guilty of, I want to take a peek and and listen to what it sounds like without the in-ears. And then you are kind of like, Oh, well it's out. So I think I'm going to hang out here or only yeah. have one in or something like that for a while. But uh nuance man I don't know. I mean, th- maybe this is why certain songs end up being garage band staples because you can play them without the nuance and they, and people will still like them. I I don't know, but I, I will say stage volume is, is the Holy grail. I, there's a band in, in my town. They've been together for 40 years. They still work, you know, 30, 40 shows a year. They have a drummer who's got such a light touch inappropriate inappropriate settings he's got a great groove he's got you know great dynamics but clearly he was taught to drum as though he was you know in someone's wedding in a small room because he's so comfortable and effortless acoustically yeah gets his groove going but but uh, you know it's not it's just not a ringing stinging sound yep that the band is 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 reacting to and and uh yeah you do try and get under the under the vocals, but you can be just as guilty of having the vocals to loud. I mean, loud monitors to try and hold off the inevitable wave of sound is, is just as bad as sin as everything else. I mean, oh, totally. you want to get it yeah. right. So, yeah, yeah, so. yeah.
0: Yeah. See, well, I, so I come into this when I, by the time I sit down at my kit on any given night, I've already tuned the monitors, right? That's the first thing I'm listening to. So my ears are fresh. I've tuned the monitors. I've tuned the mains, right? Maybe I've sat down and hit my kick drum to, you know, do that. But usually I have somebody else sit down and hit my kick drum so I can hear it and get that right. But um, by the time I sit down and play, and we, and we don't start with the monitors very loud. We start with them where they should be, right? You know, where it's, there's a, there's a tastefulness to it because like you said, the vocals need to cut through, but they can't be blaring and driving people 20 feet from the stage. So, it all starts with that. And like you, I, I start the gig with at least one of my in ears, not in, because I got to get my brain set so that I hear what's going on. And I'm playing at an appropriate level Um, in, in, in terms of what else is going on around me. And then after about a song, I feel comfortable enough to put the ear in and, and trust that, you know, it's all going to, it'll stay where it is. and And for the most part, it does. You know, the, the all-star gigs that we did, they were always a real mess. Um, volume wise, I felt, I don't know. We never had a great sound. We did we, a couple of times we had a great sound person, uh, but most of the time we did not. And, um, it was, I, I was never happy with the sound, but that's, that's cause you know, that's, I'm, I'm picky about once that a year stuff. band.
1: That's a once a year band.
0: It is. Yeah. And, and, you know, the biggest problem as, as we're talking about it now, the biggest problem with that band was Well, the biggest problem for me with all those gigs was I was always playing somebody else's kit snare drums. Fine. I, I, you know, I can hit those softly and, and work it out. It's the symbols. I was always using somebody else's symbols and maybe in, in retrospect, I should have just brought my own and especially ride symbols for whatever reason. I never seemed even when we were renting stuff and I was particular about what type they would never send the right kind or whatever. And I'd get this big washy ride and it's like, no, man, I, you know, it's too loud. I want something that's tight. And, uh, and I never had that. So, it, so yeah, I'm sure I played way louder at that gig than I would at, you know, even the loudest gig I would play with some, somebody like fling on on my kit.
1: Yeah. yeah I guess that makes sense. You're, you're somewhat overcompensating for your lack of discomfort. We had a couple guys who weren't uh, playing a whole lot. And so they're kind of relevant ability to kind of mix the sound in their heads and feel comfortable yeah. that they were being heard. Yeah. We, we, I think we did have one or two over the course of the years where it was just butter and, and butter, you know, the stars lined up, but mostly it was, you're fighting off the sound. And then, you know, about, about a third of the way into the second set, you're just used to it and Mm. you're just looking, you're just enjoying it because you're playing, but you just deal with it. Yeah. It's it's right with it.
0: Yep. That's right. The the concern is over at that point.
1: Yeah. Now, have you ever been in a band that actually was great about stage volume? Like, like it was comfortable. Like you could fling. We are really, Oh, it's friggin' awesome. Most of the time when, and
0: frankly that most of the time, most of those, most of the times fall into the category of nights. We do our own sound. And we've uh, really gotten particular about it. In fact, we've got a, a thing coming up in June at a club where they usually provide a sound man and they have house sound. And we've had more than one discussion internally about, you know, I wonder if we can just do our own sound that night. <laughs> it's a lot more work for us, right? Yeah. You know, but it sounds so much better both for us and for the crowd because we know us and, you know, I, we'll talk about this in another show. Cause I, it, I think it deserves more time than we'd probably want to give to it now. But if for a band doing your own sound more often than not and doing what I call the braille mix, right. Where you're doing it from the stage and you don't have, <laughs> you don't always have somebody out in the crowd. Um, this, this, this Mackie board that we've got, the DL six, 1608 where you can save all your settings and control it with, you know, an iPad or multiple iPads uh, wirelessly really makes a difference. Um, part of it is just that, you know, I would never use something like uh compression on vocal mics In a setting where I had to do our own sound, because it's just too much to worry about every night to, you know, tweak every mic's compression. But when I'm using a board and I know that, you know, I'm singing into the same mic and he's singing into the same mic he always has. And so is he. And so is he. um, Then I can I mean, we can spend time in rehearsal and get compression settings right for each person individually. And then we just save them. And, and so there, there's a lot, it, there's a lot of reasons. That's one of them, but we just, we know our sound and I don't like somebody we've, we've learned how to, uh, because we do our own sound a lot, we've learned to mix our own harmonies, right? And nothing is worse than knowing how to blend harmonies with that guy over there and having some guy out at front of house trying to second guess what you're doing. Uh Right, but you don't have that because you've got Bill, right? So, which is a different thing. He knows your sound, he knows your guys, right? You, I mean, it, that's he's a member
1: of the band, so that's we different. Don't, but we don't always have. I mean, we do plenty of gigs where sound is provided. Yeah, we often are able. Like Bill is great. You know, he'll go. He'll make friends with the other guys. You have to and. <laughs> And, and seven times out of 10, he'll end up mixing us on their board. That's right. Three times out of 10, there's a guy who's like, nobody touches my board but me, right? Yeah, that it so, happens. So that happens, yeah, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So I thought just before we go, one last thing. So yeah. you didn't ask, so I asked you about drums. You didn't ask me about guitars, but I'm going to offer this. About yeah, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to, to my brother guitar players out there, I feel you. There is that place in your amp that only we know about. That is some magical combination of volume and EQ where there's a nirvana. We, as guitar players, we come across that place once in a while, or sometimes a little bit more often, and we spend the rest of our lives chasing that particular setting every time that we're out. Guitar players are often accused of being too loud, Uh, but it's not our fault, man. We're just looking for nirvana.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think it's, you know, again, it goes back to learning EQ, and if you surrender to the reality that every room sounds different, then you come in and you build your sound in that room.
1: Well, I'm taking an entirely different tech. So I, I know I've had I've had little Fender amps. I've had medium sized Fender. You know, I've a I have a basement a 410 basement where when we're playing on a big outdoor stage, you know. Yeah. four tenths pushing air you know i cut through the horn section and i love it i i have a um a 65 amp so this is one of the first boutique amps that you know it's an it's a 18 watt amp or 22 watt amp you know that that is pioneering the ability to get good crunchy guitar rock and roll tones at moderate volumes yeah but i wasn't happy with it with it, how much it cut i just have moved over to the new um Mesa Boogie mark five twenty five which is a twenty two or ten watt twenty five or ten watt amp and one of the really interesting things that i 'm going to be trying on this amp the amp actually has a, a a direct out, so I can actually go right out of the head and go right into the board so it has it has this this yeah. uh, cat cab modeling feature and uh, not push any air on stage. And uh, so I'm going to be experimenting with, it. I just got this amp. I played one or two gigs with it, with a speaker. It's really, it's still, you know, even at 10 Watts, it's a lot of amp. Um, but, um, but I'm going to see it. I'm also thinking about doing the, the, the plexiglass baffle, and and blocking the sound coming out and and uh, but I need to get it up you know you need to get an amp up past one in order to get some character out of it and a lot of these amps you know especially these bigger amps in these smaller clubs you're just never going to do work. that that's right it just doesn't work so yeah. so you know all you drummers all you singers all you keyboard players be gentle with us guitar players we're we're only doing this for your own good.
0: I I will. You're right. I, I, of course you are right. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a selfless effort uh, that the guitar players, that's right. Uh, But I will say this, if you have somebody in your band and it sounds like Nick might be this guy, right? Um, If you have somebody in your band that, that knows something about sound and acoustics, first of all, he's probably going to be a little bit condescending about all of it. Uh, it's certainly going to come across that way. And and that's just how we are because we do know better. But it, it, it despite that, it is helpful to listen to that person at some level because it really the awareness of how acoustics work really can make a difference in getting your stage volume low. And it I mean, with fling, it took a lot of effort. To really figure it out. I mean, first you gotta sort of sort out what the important things are in your mix in the band. And not everybody's important all the time, right? Yeah. You, you know, and and so it you know, it really it's it's about finding the place for each instrument in the EQ, in the range of human hearing, right? (laughs) You know, and, and carving a hole for the vocals, which means cutting that EQ out of the keys and out of the guitar so that there's room for the vocals to live there. And that's really the, that like I'm sure if you go talk to your buddy who does, you know, front of house sound for a living, he's going to tell you all about
1: how he does that. Oh, absolutely. And actually Nick as as kind of mentored bill along. So Nick knows sound and the, the thing about bringing a buddy along as a sound engineer, you know, the first thing was give him the basics so nothing's feeding back and what to do if sure. something does feed back, right? Right. Just yeah, like self preservation. Right. But this whole thing about musicians' ears and understanding how to create ranges in the mix, that's something that someone needs to mentor. I mean, and that's where we've Total. been really lucky. So I have a guy in the band who knows this stuff cold and he's been very patient. And, you know, getting an amateur guy up to semi-professional level, you know, teaching him the theory of those types of things. And so, you know, that uh, we're extremely fortunate, A, that we got a guy who knows this stuff and B, that we got a guy who's been like a sponge and wanted to learn this stuff. So it's been a pretty good holistic thing. And that's that's you ever notice like there are those nights where not only is the volume right, but there's a certain amount of you hear every instrument as though you know it's separated like like stereo separated right yeah and uh and (laughs) that that is something that you like you know i didn't know it could be like this well (laughs) it's just like that's magic that's why we use this this mixer that we use because we really
0: can you know we're using it with the same instruments every night so it's really easy for us to spend a lot of time off stage finding those little holes and then you just leave them there it really yeah. makes a difference. I mean, it, but it takes a lot of work and it's not an obvious thing. And, and you, you do, you have to just learn is what it is, but it's worth it. It's worth well, it.
1: It's worth we can it. talk about this another time. So we have the personas board. So it's yeah. the same type of thing, same like type of thing. Sure. Yeah. Totally digital board. You can, you know, you, it can be iPad controlled. The sound, you know, the board can live anywhere and the guy and the sound guy can go out in the uh, audience with an iPad and basically remix things. The one thing that I don't know why, you know, it says you can save the settings and we do, but it's not the same in every place that we go. You come back, you press the button to bring up the same settings. We were in a club yesterday. We we're in a different club today. Right. Something, something is different all the time, or maybe we just don't have that comfort level, but it doesn't, never sounds the same. Oh no, gig it's, to gig. it's not. I mean, you like, we have EQ settings for different rooms that we've played in, but even
0: in those rooms, if I, re, you know, if I, if I tune for a room that we're there the first time, I save the setting at the end of the night, you know, I save the setting and then when we come back, I recall that. But to me, that's a starting point because the monitors are in slightly different spots. The mains are in a slightly different spot. You know what I mean? Right. And, it, and then
1: probably the mics are in a slightly exactly, different spot, right? Exactly. Yeah.
0: Right. So, you know, all those weird things. And I mean, there's so much we can talk about. You know, if you're in a low ceiling room, you got to just know right out of the gate, that 250 Hertz is going to be your danger zone, right? For the night. And so start there and cut some of that out. But we had a, we had a gig just a couple of weeks ago in a club we'd never played in before. And we were having all kinds of problems. We had to kind of set up fast. It was one of these quick set up after the dinner crowd sort of things and then get going. And we had it pretty well tuned, but man, we just kept getting this low, like low mid feedback. And I'm trying to figure it out while we're playing. And finally, You know, I said, screw it. We're going to isolate each mic. And and I just took a moment and did it. And it was our keyboard player way over on the side of the stage, far away from the mains and everything. And he uses in-ears so he doesn't even have a monitor. It's like, what's going on? And he happened to set up in front of a little kind of a mini bay window in this club. Mm. And it must have been that sound behind him was swirling through this thing and just creating that frequency. And so I was like, oh, it's you. Fine. So we just took that out and it was... Good to
1: go. Party on. But it's just those So things. much to learn. It's There's just so, so much, much to, learn. to learn. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Good conversation.
0: This was fun. Man, I'm all <laughs> <ramped> up now.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm supposed to go to bed now? No, 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 no. <laughs>
1: well, this was a blast, man. Have it. you have They're any gigs? You have any gigs this weekend? Um, no, we're off for a couple of weeks. One of okay. our guys is uh we have a very young rock and roller on a band who's going to become a grandfather wow. sometime over the next couple of weeks. So he's going to be with his daughter and help that happen. So that's kind of exciting. That's awesome. I got a couple of acoustic gigs coming up a little bit later in the month. we uh, I'll just tell you, we we, we just uh, train in vain by The Clash. We're putting that one in the set. We just uh, a great horn chart to support the rhythm. I always love the groove of train in vain. That's just a great song. Yeah. Um, cool. We came to play by Tower of Power. We've been working on that. Another great one. Um, we pulled out this great 70s funk song, um, Bustin' Loose, Chuck Chuck Brown and the Soul Searchers, I think it is. I don't know. And uh, we played it. Yeah, we played it for the first time in Santa Cruz last night, and people really, really liked it. So we had a good gig last weekend in Santa Cruz, The Crow's Nest. But uh, we're just having a lot of fun. Uh, putting this new stuff in the set, moving it around where it it fits best in the set, you know, just working around different nudges to the arrangements. We're just having a lot of fun getting ready and we have an amazing summer. We're really fortunate to have so many cool gigs ahead of us this summer. So hopefully we're just fine tuning stuff and getting ready to go. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I've got, uh, well, it's actually I have three, well, three gigs this week. So I've got the Friday and Saturday are the wrap up of this theater thing that I'm doing. So Saturday is the final show of that. Uh, but Thursday night I've got an acoustic gig with uh it's three pieces of fling. Russ, uh, myself, and then Aaron, our keyboard player are doing a, a benefit for uh, this zebra crossings foundation. That's raising a bunch of money. Nice. Yeah. Uh, we, uh, we rehearsed that the other, we rehearsed with that outfit the other night. And then, It just, you know, sometimes when you're rehearsing an idea for a song comes together and with an acoustic thing, you can whip that stuff into shape pretty quickly. And we knew it. We knew that we had kind of an 80s vibe coming in with this. And and a lot of the people were into that. So um, I think we're going to pull out Take On Me by Aha. Mm. It requires quite the vocal range to do It, it. Yeah. Including that note. Yeah I I can hit that note. It's actually the note uh in the line before it before you go falsetto. The falsetto is no problem for me. It's the it's the line before that that I've got to be good in uh limber for but
1: uh What is that? Is that a isn't that a, like a high G or something like yeah, that?
0: Yeah, it's yeah, it's it might even be it might even be an A yeah <laughs> oh, it's up there yeah but i can hit the problem is i can hit those and so they you know they stick me with them but it's fun it'll be fun to sing and the range on that one's all over the place though you know you're yeah. really down at the beginning of the chorus but it's fun so all right we'll get them. yeah we'll have fun you have fun and uh we'll talk next week thanks paul
1: talk- next week Yeah, see you, dave